Welcome to Podcast Mixed Communications. We are your hosts, Lilla and Benedicta. These podcasts are brought to you as a part of Project Other. In this series, we will discuss the malleability and or rigidity of culture through personal experiences with an aim to celebrate where we come from, who we are and where we're going. Sit back, listen and enjoy. Today we have Maria Sappho sitting here with us and we're going to have a little chat about culture, music and movement. Maria is currently working as an improviser, composer and researcher in the UK. Some of her other artistic ventures have been sculptor, dancer, videographer and visual artist. She is working with us as a musician for our duet movement research and development of Project Other. And we have just come from the studio today, dancing and playing music together in the same space. Welcome. So today we'll be having a discussion about creative processes and reflecting on some of the elements that we've been exploring in the studio. But before we begin, I'm going to ask you three questions, Maria, they're really quick fire questions, and you have to answer with as little bit as possible, as concise as you can possibly make it. Question one. List or tell us about all the music styles that you've trained in, formally and informally, or whichever one. So classical music, very long time. Um, flamenco from childhood, and then I stopped and then I rejoined again the last few years of my like more adult life. I did um, Aboriginal music with David and Alfred um, Wilfred um, in Armenland in Tasmania, and also traditional um, Pansari singing with Bay Il Dong. Korean traditional music. <laughs> it's big vocabulary. Um, if you could instantly become a prof- uh, professional, like an expert in something, what would it be? And yeah, what would it be? I would choose never to become an expert in anything because I don't believe in the idea of expertise. <laughs> nice, nice. And yeah. um, what is your favorite dessert and why? Flan, because it's my mother's dessert. Oh, Love it. that's really nice. <laughs> okay, so Maria, you have many creative expressions. Um, I want to begin by opening a conversation around your inspirations and creative process, specifically where they derive from. So let me give you a situation. If you were on an island with all technical resources that you need, how would you keep inspired? So this question is interesting because if all of the technical resources included every other human being on the planet, that would be what I would need because I think the thing that really is the fire for my creative practice is mm-hmm. community and sociality. Okay. And so like meeting yeah. and working with people in vastly different settings who come from vastly different backgrounds and the context that they bring, that's kind of always what is the actual root of my practice as opposed to anything mm-hmm. I, you know, specifically creative in itself. Mm-hmm. So yes, on my island, I would need the rest of humanity. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> my island is Earth. <laughs> Just a follow-up question. How has your creative process been shaped to be what it is currently today? Um, Was it something taught, something you built, or something perhaps from your upbringings or childhood roots? So the way I guess I would say my practice is, and this is like just a terminology that's useful, is that I kind of work within what usually would be considered free improvisers in a kind of European, Anglo-American context, but free improvisation is really just a a notion that you can make art without any parameters, and so people do this all over the world. But I would say that I got that practice oddly through 
a very elitist way of going to conservatory. I was very much a classical pianist and I wanted to be a solo classical pianist. But that world is very um, controlling. It's mm. very competitive. It's quite like, I don't know, how, like almost like close, I would describe it. Mm. Um, and I like very slowly started to realize that that was not who I actually was. It's what I kind of imagined wanting to be, but like my inner happiness was, you know, really not thriving. Yeah. And so I found free improvisation through the conservatory that I was training in entirely by accident. And that, yeah, it was kind of like this huge like left turn where I just entirely changed my career and who I wanted to be because I tried it and I realized that that is who I was mm. and that people were looking for that to be performed in public. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Would you say that is a reflection of who you was a person? Because sometimes I found like similar to what we discussed in the last po- uh, podcast, like like we went down the dance route, which was quite free, and then we went into a bit of more focus training, and then we found like elements of that. Like we found it very hard, like you're saying, to be in that bracket of like this is what you need to be, and having that being that version of a person. So, and then now we've found the freedom of it. But I feel like that resonates with the kind of people that we are in our lives a little bit. Is that something that's like? similar with you like are you quite a free go with the flow kind of person I think I never really liked having like a boss or having Mm. someone tell me what to do and then like that should have been obvious then that like you know classical music especially like there's a lot of hierarchy there's a lot of rules there are do's and don'ts and I really thought like oh I can break down all those barriers and that Mm. was kind of like my path blazing thing but then I realized that just because like you're saying maybe it's me that wants to be my own trailblazer but I don't have to trailblaze within a discipline yeah. within an existing structure I can just be myself yeah mm. yeah definitely there definitely needs to be that and I think it's so nice because it's like you have that vision and sometimes it's just about knowing what it, it was about that that excited you and then how you can do that in a different way that doesn't have to be such so restricting or feel like it's taking you away from who you want to be um I actually had a question and it's something I think if I've come back to like 360 is finding the emotion intention in everything like I feel like I'm really like although some people see me and I'm like oh this, this is really like this version of her but I can be a really emotive person like things I'm constantly taking over in terms of like the terms of like emotional output so I want to ask you a question around emotional intentions when creating music that needs to portray like a certain mood like for example today when we're like oh in the chapters the f you chapter <laughs> i'm gonna say when we were like oh we wanted more like a guttural sound and um, kind of like a tension some of the things that we discussed like tension and stuff and anger like what was your starting point with that so i suppose it's us because we left you to get along with that we didn't sit and just talk about it we just said these words you watched what was happening and then we kind of left you with it. But what I'm interested in, what was your starting point with that when we did all that? Waffle, waffle, waffle. <laughs> or, uh, yeah. Yeah. or what it might be. It doesn't need to be, like, specifically of today, if that yeah. feels difficult to talk Yeah, no, I guess there's, like, two kind of answers. I think the first answer is maybe not the one you want for that specific example. Mm-hmm. In the sense that I was very influenced by the music you were already using mm-hmm. and the notion of a narrative and how music in all different types of cultures can express this narrative and how we pick that up, mm-hmm. right? And that, that's a shared thing. So, of course, because you were playing the song that you are playing, I then thought, well, what can I do that's similar? So it was really just, you know, I think a lot of the time musicians are like, here's something, I have an idea that mm-hmm. can match that. Maybe in some kind of a strange roundabout way, I can get back to, ask, to answering about emotions in general. And in my own music and in my own practices, it's not like we would ever 
try to emote anger or try, do you know mm. what I mean? It's, it's never, I guess it's never that clear, but the way that the, the art really works is being super perceptive to what is being shared. And so it's really like this complex microcosm of human expression, I find, with especially very free um, improvised practices. And you're tuning into the moment of expression that someone nearby you is doing and then flittering away, you know, and listening to what someone across the space is doing. So it's kind of like this whole globe of emotional complexity. Mm -hmm. And that for me is what emotion in in music is. It's not actually about me creating emotion. It's Mm -hmm. about me perceiving the emotion. And I think that 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 is how emotions work in society more than anything. A lot of the time we have to perceive them in order for them to kind of exist and be recognized. So maybe in some ways, listening to the music that you've chosen and knowing that you've chosen that because it obviously was emotive for you helped me kind of do what I do as an improviser. I listen to the sound and I try to respond to it and add to it. Yeah. That's that's really interesting because I think originally for me when you were going, oh, I went off the music, I was thinking, oh, of course, because it's your, that's kind of your field. I would do the same if someone gave me like, three different options of a starting point and one of them was movement I would understand it more so I'd use that but then you went in to explain that it was actually like about how it's perceived and I guess the reasons why we picked that music which is really interesting actually because yeah it's about that like how do you get that understanding of this feeling that you're trying to portray. And you're sharing way. your feelings by sharing me that piece. Mm-hmm. That's what we do with music all the time. You know, it's like when mixtape is yeah. kind of in the very base level. It's like, these are our emotions. I put them on a tape for you to listen to. Yeah, and then it's going to be perceived however that person yeah. like, has experienced that or experiences it. Yeah. I suppose the question I had with, with that maybe was like, what did you get from from that music? Like, what were your pull points? Because, like, say with movement, there'd be, like, if I was watching, like, in a really angry piece of, like, a duet, there'll be certain pulls that I would that would be like, oh, that's a drum. Like, it's how you bank memory and why you bank certain things. I would suppose that might be a question to ask you, if that made any sense. <laughs> what, what I got from that, like, specific moment, if we just take that, like, in a little, like, you know, capsule, mm-hmm. there's this really powerful song that... I know you were using in the context of something to do with rage mm. and intense emotions, but the powerness of that song was very um, communal. It was like a choir. It was very traditional. I could, I could feel tradition mm. in the song. And so that was very, you know, there was, you know, a, a concept in that that was greater than a piece of music. It was, you know, a call of people, mm-hmm. a response yeah. of history that, you know, I think that song very much holds it. I don't even know the name of the song, but that was what I gathered from yeah. that. And of course, then, you know, I went to choose kind of more flamenco elements because I was thinking about tradition and a history of anger and a history yeah. of rage that mm. exists in all cultural, maybe traditional musics. Maybe that's an overstatement, but no, a lot of cultural tradition musics yeah. are able to encapsulate that very um, communal concept of rage as opposed yeah. to an individual concept of rage. Yeah, it's, really that. it's very interesting you say that because it's similar to when we were discussing like movement styles and where movement styles come from. Like a lot of, like we spoke with David, he's saying a lot of music and Mustard movement styles came from that place of like one in a release, one in freedom, like anger. But it was definitely that like traditional side of things. But yeah, 100% agree. And that's why when you listen to a song, you can, like, especially old songs back back in the days, or even when I hear certain songs in Ningala, I'm like, I can feel that, like, even it's been generations of people singing it, you, the, the, that feeling still exists, and I find that 
like my mind is like wow like if i completely lost my mind how through generations they can pass on a song but you pass on the emotion yeah without having to like teach the person because yeah. like, this is how you sing yeah. it's like something that's picked up it's and it's almost like, that the details don't matter as much because it is that like it's the feeling and the understanding of that which then is passed on and it's super important also that it, it crosses culture that like i could listen to that song that you are playing and like i don't know yeah. if it's in yiddish but i don't speak the language mm. that is being spoken but i completely but pick it. up the emotions mm. that it's trying to give me mm. and i relate them to my own culture yeah, yeah. um Yes, I think they're moving a little bit. So have you found ways to express your artistic voice and stamp within your work, in within work that has ha- given you lots of freedom? That was my question. Please read the question. Yeah. <laughs> how, is what I should have said, more than have you, it's like, how have you found ways to express your artistic voice and stamp within work that has given you freedom? So if there's like a project, for example, that's just one, yeah, right, do what you want. Yeah, well, first of all, definitely I am able to express who I am. I always say this. I'm like, it's kind of unfortunate, but I feel like my role as an artist is to be hired as me, not to be hired as like a pianist or as Mm. a composer or anything specifically. And when I am hired in those roles, I don't thrive. I always Mm. feel like I don't really hold up to who I am. And some people I think are really good at that. They're really good at like being able to take on a concept and, you know, do what needs to be done. But I kind of just have to be hired for Maria Safa mm-hmm. and everything that comes with that. Wow. So definitely that's where I'm freest, which is very rare too. In like the actual arts industry, you're usually hired to do something. Mm-hmm. You're not hired yeah. to just be who you would be yeah. in response to the, the reality. But then beyond that, I would also say that a caveat in that is that you need to find your niche and you need to find your community. Yeah. And so once you have found your niche and your community, you're almost always being asked to be yourself. Yeah. Mm. Because people know who you are. Yeah. They know what they're asking yeah. for already. They know what they're getting with you. I suppose in contrast to that, in a situation where someone's like, no, I need you to do this. I need you to sound like this. Like, how have you still found ways to be you without feeling like you're betraying like who you are a little bit? Do you know what? I think that I just, I used to think it was a big failure, that I was just really bad at that. Mm. But I actually never had to try not to be myself. Do you know, do you know mm. what I mean? Like, I never had to, like, try to get myself out of things because I just, it was like I had no other option. So, for example, when I did a lot of classical music, I had a lot of whatever my technical issues were. I started to realize that they were not, they were technical issues for classical music, but they were just not going to go away because they were just how I was. Yeah. So I was able it was kind of lucky in the sense that like all of my quote-unquote failures within the notions of expertise as a pianist tend ended up being the things that meant that I never had to submit to a career that maybe I wouldn't be happy with mm-hmm. yeah so it was kind of like a, a root of sadness you know feeling yeah. like you weren't good enough that realized that I like learned that actually I had been given a gift because yeah. it's so easy to fall into a career that isn't right for you just because you're good at doing mm-hmm. what people ask of you definitely and I think that's kind of and maybe I'm wrong, but it's kind of stemmed from the education system and how we're taught. It's like you have these exams or whatever, and there's a idea of what success is and an idea of what achievement is and what is right and what is wrong is so black and white mm-hmm. that it almost trains your brain to think that. And I think I've also like gone through that same process, and I guess it's the same if you were doing training in ballet or mm-hmm. something that's so set, it's very much it becomes such a self-critical thing and it's like this is right this is wrong but it's sometimes like well actually can you still be successful by doing that same move but doing it 
the way that you can do it best because mm. actually you could probably do it better than anyone else in that room because you're doing it how you can do it. Mm. Yeah. And I think this is the thing as well with the current, what's currently happening with the things like neurodiversity and dyslexia and all these kind of um, ways of being that people have that weren't a thing back then. So it's like now you, people, you're finding people's way of, for example, a symptom counseling rhythm, like I could hear it different to how Lilla could hear it to someone, how someone else could hear it. But it's like, it's also training, it's that whole thing of in school training that no way of learning is the wrong way of learning. It just, what could take me five minutes? Could it take someone half an hour? But our work ethic is still the same. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, it's just how our brains work. It's just how our bodies work. And like, for example, like I used to be really bad at maths in school. Really, really terrible. It should take me so long. Like I still am. I'm saying I used to still I'm incredibly bad but then people are like oh like dance and music is all about numbers right and I'm just like it is but it's in a way that I understand it's in a way that my body understands I can count it. to eight I can count to eight and then I can count to <laughs> 16 and then that's brilliant but it's like not just that because I've been in classes before where it was heavily based on counts and rhythm and then like that was like ah oh, my brain was like oh I understand this yeah. because it's like my body's doing it not just my mind because yeah. it's a very powerful it's, instrument <laughs> what's interesting though is when I so sometimes counts stress me out when I'm dancing because there's some people that will use counts and some people that won't so much. But I think it's when I think about it as a mathematical thing yeah. that it stresses me out. Whereas if I think about it more as a rhythmical challenge, then I rise to it and I'm like, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> yes, let's get this. But if I'm thinking about, oh, I need to one, two, three, like I need to think about numbers, it does stress. It can get that way. And it's almost sometimes the way I see it. If I'm like, it's a rhythm, it's a challenge, mm. it's a rhythmical movement challenge I'm like yes I'm all for it and I think it's just sometimes me making sure I've got like that right brain on but not necessarily it doesn't have to be the right brain it's just the yeah how your brain works because it's like you're really musical (laughs) when you were counting today I was just like like to understand that like I think my brain would blow if I was in your career path of being a musician because I'd be like I don't understand how numbers work and it's like like, was that a thing that you instantly understood? Or was it something that was taught and took a while? It's just a language. Well, on, on one hand, I don't remember learning music because I was very lucky. I started when I was two and a half. So mm-hmm. actually, the, the basics oh, of, wow. of music, I don't ever have to remember even learning, mm-hmm. which I think is so important. I always tell people who have kids, I'm like, I'm playing music. Because yeah. it's just in you. It's just, you have that, that language already. But it is a language. And what I was teaching with you earlier was this kind of flamenco um, clapping rhythms, palmas. But that has its own language, which is different from if I were counting in Western music notation language, which is different from like Indian traditional music has its own language too for counting. So it's not always numbers. I use numbers actually in a very Western musical concept. Um, and when I do flamenco, we use numbers, but there's also other sounds and other words that mm. stand in place of numbers. And I find that really interesting. I'd like to one day do a project over what sounds we make for numbers yeah. in mm. different musical languages and how those assist really in learning. Because it's, it's, rhythm is an embodied thing. Mm. Yeah. Even if you can count it, you have to embody it to yeah. be able to play it, to be able to clap it, to be able to dance it, whatever. <laughs> so there are words that a lot of cultures use to get those into the body, which yeah. is super cool and diverse. Yeah, yeah, and doesn't always have to be actual numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'll help me. I need, <laughs> I need to, yeah, <laughs> look into that. Because it's quite similar to, like we were saying, um, when we're exploring like bilingual languages and stuff, we came across the topic of like how people from different places teach. And you like, we found out movement languages when we teach today. I don't know what mine was today, 
Like when I'm trying to go through a sequence, do I use mainly? I what I've experienced before is you use quite a lot of sound. But today, I think what you were trying to do today was say left and right, <laughs> and neither of us are good with left and right, so we were just getting confused. And I was like, Benny, let's ju- just just I'll you. Copy, just... <laughs> yeah. I think it's that, do you use left and right? Do you use this as one, this as two? Or is it a, I like using like, ha, like vocalising it? Because that's how I see them more, or like imagery. Yeah, I feel like you use them quite a mix. Mix of everything, mixed bag. But yeah, so sometimes I feel like when I'm in a class, I sometimes learn more, which is why I think I was able to pick up a lot of what you were doing when you taught class, because it's like, they're not... It's like a sound, and that sound tells my body how it should move. Like, if you go, ha! Like, I know that isn't really attacking. Whatever I'm doing, that is within that thing. Or you go, or if you go, shoo! It's like, it's a massive thing. It's like, when people go, Like, I know what that sound means in my body, and I'm like, right, I can do that. Like, maybe, yeah. Maybe I think I'm all the prescribed notions or something. Taking it back, 360, to the top of this question, um... I just think, I thought I had a question, like, anyone who's, like, listening, who is a musician, composer, who is kind of going through a similar process or wanting to explore themselves a bit more and having that artistic license within their work, do you have any advice for them or anything that you wish someone had told you when you're trying to discover how to be Maria yourself? Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone must become Maria <laughs> Step yeah, one is... <laughs> step one is no. be me. Um... <laughs> And I think really the, the biggest thing, and I always have to relearn it myself whenever I move locations, say I move and my career is now slightly in a different place, you kind of have to re- rebuild parts of your career every time. And the thing that I always come back to is that you have to build your family. And your family is both something you have physically in the maybe city that you're working in, in the whatever, the, the project that you're working in, but it's also a connection of the other families that you've been building and growing. And so mm-hmm. for me, I see like, who I am as an artist actually really standing on the shoulders of so many like yeah. I like mm-hmm. everyone I work with is like truly deep deep friends mm-hmm. like life colleagues and I just think like as long as you make that one commitment to yourself that you will only work with people that you love yeah. and that love you then your practice will always flourish mm-hmm. you know I, I know some people have lots of confidence in themselves and they can work in negative scenarios but it's not just being about being negative it's just about people who you just gel with yeah and if you always find that if you seek those people out like really actively like don't even like don't practice sometimes because you're looking for pe- people to work with spend that time find those people because they'll be with you for the rest of your life yeah, yeah. That really, really what a good investment <laughs> honestly when you said that that really like like landed with me. translates as well I guess, yeah across, it, across everything really it's like finding that home like I've, i found myself in sometimes in projects where you're like not quite sure and it's like you yearn for that family like I think that's one thing I definitely look for everywhere I go it's like that family element like how can I slot in and just be me and not feel like I have to like like what we're talking about on the way here I have to like (laughs) make a version of me for these people yeah but yeah no that's really really great advice okay so I have another question for you um I know we have only had like two half days together Mm -hmm. with which has mostly been about exploring and understanding how to work in the studio, in the same space. But were there any discoveries or things that were unexpected from the studio sessions so far? Yeah, so I feel like I had something 
intelligent, I wanted to say. And I'm Everything's thinking, intelligent. <laughs> I had a point because I was thinking, because you asked this at the end of the first session too when you were doing the, the reflections. reflections. Yeah, and I can't remember what I said then. Um, but I guess obviously everything's always new because you're working with new people. We're also working across disciplines. So I'm seeing how you guys work very clearly, right? I can like almost like step into like what it's like to devise a dance piece mm-hmm. with two dancers, which is really interesting to watch. But I guess what's surprising to me is one, of course, this is so based on thinking about culture and thinking about where we come from. And mm. there's so much personal stuff about that, that I think I have very much fallen into doing a lot of that stuff in the way that I usually would not. Like, you know, when I go to, go to people, I don't do flamenco palmas mm. with basically anyone besides, <laughs> you know, flamenco people. <laughs> so like that is already like a strange thing to like have thought to bring into yeah, yeah. a kind of new context. And that is entirely standing on the shoulders of it being a cultural, culture-based yeah. idea. Um, and then beyond that too, the idea of language being a part of so many of the ideas of this piece and noticing how I use language myself in my work, something I guess I don't necessarily consciously think about. Um, and so much of my practice is in- spontaneous. Yeah. So having some of these things drawn out for me being like, oh, because you're thinking about culture, this is something you do in your practice. You like to augment the, like we're talking about the languages I've met along my life and use Mm. them kind of, not as if I speak them fluently, but use them intermixed in the way that I might spontaneously sing something. Uh, They're with me. And this is also a reflection of like family and, you know, the people speaking about being important. Yeah, they're with me and in the practice that I do with you guys. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of surprised me. Well, at least it's made me really recognize that I've like stepped into this like role with you guys Mm -hmm. of like thinking about what I really particularly bring from my culture yeah. and from mm-hmm. my experiences with others and with language. Yeah. It's a definitely, like, I think as well we had that same thing last week when we were like, it's been so nice to speak Japanese and speak Lingala and just speak it and just, and it's like, it's yeah. that side of you that you wouldn't necessarily yeah. have and wouldn't necessarily explore. And to mix the two, it's like, of course, this is who I am. Like, why do I not, obviously, can't around and other people's pieces speaking your own language where it's like it's that sense of bringing it 360 back to like home it's like oh this is who I have to offer and this is who I am a little bit and I really loved like today's session when you were like oh I can do this and this is this and this is that like yeah that that side of it's like just really really exciting and that's what adds depth to everything because it's just like there's more than the base level it's like how can we keep going further like what is it something like 10 years ago that you can add into this it's like it's that cultural experience that we were really saying we wanted to include everyone's that we're working with which is like today as well with the two photographers we were like where are you from because it's like we want to include elements of everyone we kind of come into contact so there's pieces about everyone's experiences not just our own and i think what was nice about what happened today is that we kind of had some tasks set that we knew we wanted to do today for that specific section and we got through maybe two and then from what we showed you you were like oh I'm going to teach you these rhythms. And then after that, in lunch, we were like, oh, my God, I know what we're going to do next. And then that just, like, developed our next task. Mm. And it's just kind of, that's, it was kind of felt just like we're feeling each Each other. other, Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely important to feel each other. Um, Yeah. So, oh, I've got the next one, don't I? Yeah. So a couple of months ago we had an exploration day with musician Digi Sholanke and this birthed the idea of the first task that we gave you Maria which was to collect sound recordings of different expressions of emotion and character that people use in speech 
from different languages and cultures. So, for example, sounds like eh is kind of like disbelief or what. And kya can be scared or excited in Japanese. Did you have any examples? Um, yeah, actually, I found this. I sent a funny video to my mum's, to the, the family group chat, and my mum laughed back, and I was like, is that meant to be a laughing sound? But she typed it in. So, lingali go, kia, 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 kia. That, it was just a laugh, but I just never made the two connections. I was just like, of course, Oh, kia, so you kia, would kia. type that instead of he, he, Yeah, yeah, or ha, ha, ha. Because people use he, 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 or ha, ha, ha. But she was like, kia, 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 which is like, ah, I never knew it. So, there is one for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you had one, Maria, where you there was like a clap. What was that showing? Wasn't that just anger? Yeah. Was it just oh, anger? Yes. Just, yeah, like, just like, mm-mm. mm-mm. <laughs> it was like warning, wasn't it? Yeah. We're, we're discussing that. Which, which when he did, I was like, oh yeah, that just totally shows that. Um, but anyway, we had that task that we gave you. And um, I guess my question is, did it bring up or highlight any of your personal experiences of being bilingual? Um, any challenges, interesting points or stories while you were collecting? Yeah, so one, I think it's really interesting what you just said about the typing out, okay. right? Because it's, I think, so I grew up in a Russian neighborhood in Brooklyn and I had a lot of Russian friends for a while. And I think, and I don't want to get this wrong because Russian people will be listening to this maybe, <laughs> but it's an XA for writing out. Ha 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 ha. So it's, and, and just that, yeah, like the, even the typing of. Humor is obviously obviously Mm. very different because they have not just the same keyboards. Mm. But still, I quite like that. And that ties back to what I was kind of saying before about um, how we verbalize numbers in music tradition Mm. being different in different cultures. So, uh, yeah, I really like this kind of wholeness of, yeah, the, the effect that language has upon things in very different ways, how you might count how you might express humor and like you're saying these kinds of intermediate sounds um there's one thing i always think about when i think about language in general is that you know if you have gendered languages but the gendered language thinks about an object in a different way because of the gender you know this so like bridge being masculine or feminine depending on the different language they'll then describe the bridge as being strong or being Mm. beautiful right there are obviously terrible gender connotations that go with that, but it gets into our brain, right? Yeah. That, like, how we see things is inherently affected by mm. how the languages that we speak. I also posit this with that I'm not really bilingual. I speak Spanish, but mm. very badly. And so that's something of, like, a shame, you know what I mean? Right. And, like, the culture in general, it's like, that's the thing that I always feel like, oh, I should be a better Latina woman <laughs> by being able to speak Spanish better. And there's, like, whole histories that I've had to learn about, like, well, that wasn't the thing at the time in your yeah. 1950s America, it was bad for my mother and my grandmother to appear to be super Latina. Mm. And so mm. this whole idea of squashing language out and to become super Americana, you know, no Latin elements. So anyway, I think that this is a really big part of who I am. It's why I use Spanish and why I use different languages in my improvisational vocals, because that shame carried with you, especially when you feel like no agency in, in that history being kind of taken out of your family lore is like a power in itself. And, you know, it's, of course, something that I'm always working on, but it's always still that shame. So that bilingualness is, is also quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel like I feel that sometimes because my Japanese can get so broken. And because I mostly speak with my family, well, with my mum, who also speaks English, it's so easy for me to just like switch back to English when I'm unsure or like 
even in a sentence, just drop in random words. And then I like, yeah, it just becomes a habit and it's almost just, but then I feel so bad about it at the same time, but it's, it's a weird feeling because you're like, no, actually it, it's still, it's still who you are, whether you can be perfect at it, at it or not. Cause I mm. guess it comes back to that thing where you're like, you can't really be an expert at everything. Yeah. And it's like, mm. actually I've got this and this is what, who I yeah. am. Like right now, and maybe that will develop, or maybe your vocabulary will expand from different languages or experiences. And how you use it is your culture. That's what I was thinking. And yeah. going back to your original question, I knew I would get back there eventually. <laughs> the sounds that we use that are unique to culture in this practice that you kind of sent me away doing, and because I went home to do it, I realized we're like so specific not to culture of like. Latin American women or Latin American families, but of like my specific family and the ways in which language is, is used or is not used and the slang that's come in. Mm. I was also part raised by a Jewish woman. So there's a lot of Jewish slang. And what I was really noticing is how much of a mix my language, yeah. my, mm. my, my background and my family language is. And so the sounds that they make are like anything from New York slang sounds to like super Boricua, you know, like absolutely Spanish, you're probably being told off (laughs) sounds. And then, you know, beautiful, you know, Yiddish slang. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah. And laughter. That was the one thing I told you guys too. Mm -hmm. I realized that my my family communicates almost all emotion by laughter. Yeah. Angry laughter, happy laughter, confused laughter. Yeah. Sounds like a big, <laughs> big like mix of um, thinking. I think I'm trying to figure out how my family communicates. I think it's the it's quite quite sarcastic. I would say, especially when I go home. Like we're very it's a very sarky family. There's very there's a lot of like use this and now I'm gonna say use something now I'm gonna say something. It's like that's I think that's a kind of our, our movement and um, not movement. I guess when we were talking about this at first, we were talking about actually how it can, being able to access all these different sounds or ways of expressing through slang or through just like reactions, it can kind of feel like it widens your expressive vocabulary and how you can communicate. And that's just in verbal communication. Um, so I was just wondering, let me just check what the question was. Relating this back to music, as a thought, is there any links between being bilingual and being able to play many instruments and styles? So how does this being able to play more than one style or instrument impact your expressive vocab? Larry, as a musician, <laughs> got that word out. Does <laughs> that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, it, does make, it makes total sense. And I think, like, it's almost like the same thing, like how I say, like, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself bilingual mm. because I don't feel like I'm fluent yeah. in Spanish. Yeah. It's the same thing with instruments. Like, there are so many different sound worlds that I pick up and that I experiment with, but I don't learn to the point of fluency. And it comes back to why I kind of negated yeah. wanting to be an expert mm. because that's just. Again, if we talk about who I am, who I am is like super interested in like plurality. Yeah. And like I'm kind of a liquid and I like to flow between things. But I've, I'm never the kind of person to just become an expert at one yeah. thing. Yeah. And it can be quite funny in conversations because, you know, I speak with someone and you're like, you have so much film knowledge. Like, wow, you know everything about all <laughs> film ever created. And I always think like, I don't have one of those areas of expertise, 
but I just have interest in so many various yeah. things, whether it's language, whether it's music, whether it's artistic practices or really niche, just yeah. silly historical facts. That's who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. I quite like to learn m- more than learn specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's that terrible, like, you know, master, um, jack of all trades, Dude, master of none. none. Yeah. But I think, like, you should, you can be that. I yeah, think that's definitely. a really good it should place be to be. upon at all. Yeah, and then you have so much to respond to things with. It means that you're really adaptable. Mm. So whatever is thrown at you, you know, you guys tell me something and then suddenly I like, I don't know, I'm going to come with this idea, but I think like, oh, that thing that I really got really into at one point, that's what I want to use here. Definitely. And that's my bad. I keep, I know you were like, oh, I wouldn't call myself bilingual and then I keep bringing it up. (laughs) No, no, it's good. Is there a term that you would use to describe yourself or that you feel, because I guess you do talk... You do speak using different languages. Is there? How would you say that to someone? Oh, I don't know. In in I guess like in New York, I just say that I speak Spanglish, (laughs) (laughs) and like it's understood that I can speak, and then I will just use random English. Like it's a language in itself, especially in America, where it's like it's not. It's so lost Mm. the like actual reality of the language. But I think that's really important too. Like there's such a politic in that, right? Like how the language has been confused and how it's been I mean the reason that I speak Spanish to my family are Puerto Rican like Puerto Rico was not a Spanish-speaking country so like there's all this like complex history of like how we get to me speaking bad Spanish yeah that is so much bigger than yeah being fluent in Spanish Mm, which is a a country I'm so far removed from yeah yeah Yeah, no family in Spain you know because that kind of similar thing to like how sometimes I get so confused in Lingala like, because Lingala is a, one of those borrowed, take a bit here, take a bit of there, but that is to do through the history of people who have passed through there. Like, it's for, it's, Lingala is broken up into, like, Portuguese, French, and some Spanish elements to it, so it's just like, there's a reason why sometimes people struggle, because it's like, or even for that one, I'm in, like, like, with this, late in this back to dance, like, in the dance element, when we're in ballet and I'm like, they're speaking French. I'm like, I should understand this, but I just haven't got the little bit of clue what, what's going on. Cause it's like, I have in Lingala, I don't speak the full vocabulary yeah. French, but there's elements of it. Like there's words that make yeah. sense and there's words that don't make sense. And do, do you ever find when you're, if you like, for example, if you watch any Spanish films and stuff, like when I used, used to watch films in Lingala, oh no, sorry, French, I wouldn't understand. There'll be certain elements of things yeah. I understand, but then I'll be able to pick up on what the whole, like what they're all talking about, yeah, the gist yeah. of the whole thing. Mom's like, wow, like how you done that? You don't even speak French. And I'm like, well, I just gathered from their body language. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. is that a similar thing for you? Yeah, well, for sure. So for sure, Portuguese like throws me. I'm like, whoa. So quick. But, and it like, there's so much that it, it just is the Spanish word. And then it's just not. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. It's like, I think I know what you're talking about. And then it's just, and like street signs. I'm like, yeah, I could read that whole thing. Like, I know exactly what this is all about. And then someone speaks to me. I'm like, nope, it's yeah. not. It's a language I don't speak. But I mean, it's the same thing with all language. I work quite a bit in Geneva. And so I was there recently for six mm. weeks. And like, I really speak no French. Like, it's just, I've had, you know, when you have like smatterings of so many languages, mm. I could like almost understand German people. I grew up in a Russian neighborhood, so I actually mm. feel okay with that. You know, so the language and pronouncing things, okay. French, for some reason, it's just entirely flown by me. And this always baffles people who speak French too, because it's a language a lot of people have some contact with. Mm. But being there for six weeks, I would, someone would speak to me entirely in French, and then I would just answer in English, and someone would be like, 
how do you know what they say? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did, was that not English? <laughs> it just completely wow. understood the social context, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, yes, I would like you to bring my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant, yeah. It's that transferable thing, isn't it? Even if you don't understand one language. Yeah. like the, There's other cues that can help you. It's the person's face. It's where their body language is. It's how they've chosen to approach you. It's, it's the like tone. the tone. I guess yeah. this is the, comes back to when we're getting you to gather those sounds when I was like actually and when we've been having conversations with other people about this sometimes it's the same sound but it's just the tone that you say it in and it's so much about the tone behind it rather than the actual sound so like un un can be like yes and no all in like one sound and it can like go on so yeah it's just interesting yeah it's social in, in my field there is a woman called Maggie Nichols who is very much you know, she's like the goddess of free improvised music, especially in the UK, but she has this term social virtuosity, mm-hmm. which I really like because it's this idea of like how if you want to be an expert in something, it should be in being able to perceive other people very well. And when you're improvising, that's key. Like if you don't have social virtuosity, you could be the most virtuoso pianist, violinist, whatever, you will play badly with others. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to describe what those techniques are in social virtuosity but it's these things right that like I can understand someone speaking to me in a language that is not my own and instantly respond it's you know being able to hear sounds in between words and know what they're trying to express by that person in that culture in that context and like we build those as artists especially but you know that is one of these skills that if we really focus on you can you know Mm -hmm. you can become an expert as a social as a social being yeah. And do you think that's because you're an artist who has have to have all these different things, or is it because of who you are, where, like your culture, whichever in whatever sense of form it is? Well, I think that I overthink already. You know, like that's who I am as a person when I'm in a social scenario. I'm already thinking, like, how's that person feeling? Like, maybe that upset them. Maybe the conversation isn't including them enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that is always very much at the forefront of who I am as a thinking inside person. So improvisation suited me because that's kind of what you do when you're in a group of improvisers you have to start putting and so I realized that like I was like oh this is who I naturally am we're going back to like Mm. who are you I found my niche they were there was a place to do art that actually was how I lived life and that was great and perfect Mm. so I don't know if that answered your question no 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 it did it did it did like the yeah I think this whole conversation like just like wrap it up kind of thing it one thing that you said that really, really resonated with me, because I think I've always had these struggles where I'm like, oh, I don't know this enough, or I don't know that enough, or I haven't had enough time to train in this, or I want to do this. It's like, there's always that want to be a bit, like like what you're saying, an expert in things. I, I think I've always had that in my head, like going back to what you said about school as well, like you have to do this, you have to get in it, you have to do that. So I've had that mentality in my head, and it really resonated with me when you were like, like, you don't have to be that person, like having dipping your toe into something and then getting it to a place where you're happy with is just as important as to not touch that thing at all because in situations like this I'd be like oh yes this has happened like oh yes I can do this oh I saw this step that I've sort of started learning and then like this kind of like you're able to pull from different fields so you don't become this very linear person you become like a whole person as much as you are broken in things that you don't understand yeah so that yeah that was my brain was like, pew, when you said that. And it was rounding like, it all yeah, together. rounding it all together. It was just like, yeah, that is a thing that will definitely stay with me. And, and it's about not having about. fear. 
Yeah. Right, so like if you went home and you started playing the guitar for you know a couple of weeks and then you were in a project and you were like, I think the guitar should be here. Like having that confidence to be like, I'm gonna bring my guitar yeah. is horrifying <laughs> because our culture is about like, but guitarists are really good, you know what they're yeah. doing. So like, but being able to just step over that and be like, I'm bringing in the dust, like, yeah. I'm gonna bring the guitar, then like you crumble all of those yeah. social hierarchies yeah. and those things like you know the the project you know about being other mm. that's what expertise does like this kind of social construct of like having to be elite in some kind of form yeah. or way is super othering yeah. and the fear of not bringing your guitar yeah. is feeling like you'll be othered yeah. and so like that i mean it's and it's such a simple way to do it as long mm. as you're with family mm. no one will ever you, you will always be met with yeah. love yeah. when you make that choice yeah. it's so interesting because i feel like i went through that decision making process when i was like going into my training for dance because i used to love playing the guitar and I actually had lots of different things I'd be doing and then suddenly when I realised how passionate I was about dance I and also knowing that when I pick up the guitar I can't put it down I was like if I keep playing the guitar I'm not going to have enough time to do mm-hmm. dancing and train dancing I won't be as good as where I need to be or where I thought mm-hmm. I needed to be and I was just like I'm just not going to touch the guitar because that's the only way around it and then it would just I just almost sectioned off and I was like right focus on dance and then just leave everything else which I guess was it did clarify my focus but it was also like actually like you're saying it's not even just about doing that for enjoyment but you can also bring that into mm. like fuel well, your yeah. artistic practice as mm. well as who you are as a human and yeah I think mm. it's like actually not feeling like you need to do this mm. chopping Chop, chopping and changing like it all yeah all comes back to the system but yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I always say, and this is a little bit of a, a joke with me, is that like, I try and live my life like I'm a multiplicity, like I'm not just me, Maria Sappho, but yeah. I'm many, many, many Maria Sapphos. Yeah. And the the diversity of who I can be is entirely context-based on the time, on who I'm with. And like, I, f- I find that really empowering as a woman, especially, like knowing that there's always another version of me that I can use in a scenario. And that's a creative thing, but it's also just like a social thing, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how you kind of can navigate the world, being able to be aware of what I like to think of as like my army of Marias yeah. that can bring <laughs> so really many nice. diverse responses to life that I don't have to be one person yeah. all the time. I think that's really nice because I think sometimes you can get stuck in being, this is who I am, this is who I have to be. And it's like, well, no, actually, people are as malleable as their experiences. Yeah. And it can be that maybe you want to draw on some bit, like, some of who you are yeah. on one side, and then another day it might be slightly different, and just having that, like, confidence to do that. But, yeah. Thank you so much for sitting you, with guys. us in this apartment and having this conversation. <laughs> um, thank you to everyone listening as well. If any of this resonated with you, please like, share, <laughs> comment is what I'm meant to say. <laughs> that's and yeah, that's everything. Cool. Thank, thank you. Bye. Until next time. <laughs>